Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Women in Work is grateful to partner with Elevate as the exclusive sponsor of this podcast and the entire fall podcast season. Elevate equips and empowers families around the world by helping them create sustainable work through small businesses. Their leather products are beautiful and well-crafted. Please see the impact they are having in their products on their website at elevatepeople.com. And when you make a purchase, be sure to tag Women in Work and Elevate at elevate.people on Instagram and elevate.ppl on Facebook. Thank you, Elevate. Welcome, listeners. We're so excited by today's guest. Today we have with us Chelsea Patterson Sobolik. Um, we're so excited you're here, Chelsea. Um, Chelsea serves as the Director of Public Policy with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in Washington, D.C. office. She previously worked on Capitol Hill on pro-life policies, domestic and international religious freedom, adoption, and foster care issues. Chelsea has been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, and many others. She is the author of Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Holding of Childlessness, and a forthcoming book on the topic of women and work, which of course we love. We can't wait. Uh, Chelsea has a BA in International Relations from Liberty University and lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Michael. Chelsea, we're glad to have you with us today. Thank you guys so much. I um, love you both and love this topic, so I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Chelsea, I remember meeting you. Do you remember at the Evangelicals for Life conference? I do. Yeah, I I just remember as soon as I met you, and do you remember how fascinated I was? (laughs) I was asking you all these questions like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean that you work in public policy? And anyway, I just knew from the very beginning, I was like, this is a sister. We are are kindred spirits. Mm -hmm. And so can't wait for your book to come out. And just so grateful. I know our listeners are going to be really encouraged by you today. So thanks for coming on. Well, Chelsea, we love to do these rapid fire questions, um, and so we can't wait to get to hear a little bit about you behind the scenes. And so, um, Chelsea, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an architect. Okay. Um, my dad is an architect, and um, growing up, I just, I, a huge dad, I love both my parents, but I'm a dad's uh, girl, um, and just so I got to go to uh, job sites with him and just loved his work. And um, what prevented me from that is my math. <laughs> when I, uh, you know, realized that my math scores were not able to <laughs> to sustain that type of career. <laughs> Who knew? I would have thought as long as I can think it up, it should be able to work, right? right. But. <laughs> But that kind of makes sense because you are a writer. And so that's like another side of your brain that you're actually really skilled at. So that that really makes sense for you to say that. (laughs) Okay. So then what was your first job? So I, um, you know, 
mowed grass and babysat kind of um, as an early teen. But then my first kind of official job was a waitress. And I I loved waiting tables. I loved it. What kind of restaurant restaurant was it? it? (laughs) (laughs) So I actually worked at two um, simultaneously. And it was actually really interesting. So I worked at a local pizza restaurant. um, Mm -hmm. And then I actually worked in fine dining. Um, So I do half the week at the pizza restaurant and then half the week at the fine dining restaurant. And I learned so much um, and loved both experiences. So um, yeah, it was really fun. I... um, love to cook and love food. And I think a lot of that was started in working in, in uh, restaurants and yeah. um, especially the fine dining restaurant was really fun to get to see, you know, they would come up with a new menu weekly and I loved it. Oh, I really That sounds it. like a lot of fun. It now, was. Chelsea, where did you grow up? I grew up um, right outside Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, okay, cool. For some reason, okay. I didn't know you were from the South, so I love that. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's a little town called Clemens, and it's so little. It's literally called the Village of Clemens, so I usually just say Winston-Salem. <laughs> I see. Wow. Wow, okay. Well, yep. Cool. <laughs> All right, next question. What kind of work do you want to be doing when you're 80? I want to be found um, glorifying the Lord and loving my neighbor. So I have no clue what that will look like, but I want to be found faithful in doing those two things. That's so beautiful. Can't go wrong. First and second (laughs) greatest commandment, loving God and loving others. So now, Chelsea, we'd love to talk to you more about what you are doing now um, with the ERLC. So what is the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission and what is your job as the director of public policy actually entail? That sounds like such a powerful position. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, so the um, ERLC is the public policy and ethics arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I work for Southern Baptists throughout the United States. Um, like all of the Southern Baptist entities, our headquarters is in Nashville, but because we are the policy arm, we have an office in Washington, D.C., which is where I work. So our office is just a few blocks away from Union Station and from the, the Senate. Um, so my job is to um, represent Southern Baptists in Washington, D.C., and um, represent the things that they care about. So every single year, the SBC passes um, resolutions to basically state what what is on their mind and what they care about. And then we take those resolutions and advocate um, for good public policy and then help um, stave off harmful public policy. So um, no two Uh days here look the same. Um, I'm, you know, advocating on Capitol Hill um, and with the, the administration or a nonpartisan organization. Um, and um, a lot of my advocacy is actually still uh, largely virtual. So Zoom, Zoom calls. That's so um, interesting though. Yeah, I love it. Our work falls into kind of four different buckets at the ERLC, um, issues of human dignity, um, issues of marriage and family, uh, issues of domestic and international religious uh freedom, um, and then issues of justice. So mm. within those buckets are a lot of different policy um, policy priorities. Uh, we were really instrumental in criminal justice reform. We work on immigration and refugee issues, uh, pro-life issues. Um, the Supreme Court term has started, so we've submitted wow. amicus briefs there. So a um, lot of work, but I, I love what I get to do. It's 
it's a job I didn't know I wanted to do, um, but I, I love it. Okay. That's so fascinating. And so, okay, I'm just going to reach in and ask an, a, a kind of more detailed question because I'm really curious how this works because mm. <laughs> it's so far out of what's my normal life. So I'm really curious. So when you, you so you're, you're doing all these Zoom calls, advocating on Capitol Hill through virtual right now. Mm-hmm. Who exactly, like, are you advocating to? Is it, is it someone in the, you know, how, how does this work? Who are you talking to? You know, it's, a, it's a good question. Yeah, it's um, a great question. So let's say, for instance, well, this is a real life example. So right now, um, Congress has introduced the, the budget, the appropriations bills. Um, so they're working on that. And they're also working on the reconciliation package. So these are two different things, but in each package, they have removed the Hyde Amendment um, and other pro-life provisions, which um, the Hyde Amendment protects uh, taxpayer dollars from funding programs that would fund abortions. So what I do when I'm advocating for members of Congress to put back in the Hyde Amendment um, or, you know, if I'm advocating for a specific bill, there's 535 members of Congress. I certainly can't have one-on-one conversations with right. all of them on every issue. So I look through and kind of see as a bill is moving through Congress, what the appropriate committees are. Each bill that's introduced in Congress gets assigned a committee. So what the appropriate committees are. Um, and then from there, look and know kind of which members of Congress are would be most favorable to to these issues um and then um kind of go from there and I usually I mean most of the work gets done staff to staff um they're the true experts on issues a member of Congress certainly uh his name's on the door and it's his his call ultimately but you know he has staff to be experts on on issues. So I'm I'm usually reaching out to staff and, you know, flagging issues I see in bills or saying, hey, you know, I represent 15 million Southern Baptists and we care about the Hyde Amendment and we care about pro-life provision. So we would really urge you to put these back in. And so it's kind of um each each issue I work on feels like a puzzle because you don't the the Strategy for one issue will look completely different, uh, and the wow. the types of coalitions and things like that. But um, that's that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah. And again, it feels like a puzzle that I get to put together and kind of see who needs who needs to be where and who I need to be talking to. And well, it's thank fun. you. I mean, just having you, but you know, you hear these terms in the news, right? The Hyde Amendment. You, right. you hear all of these things, and. I mean, thank you, Chelsea, for your work. Just you explaining. I'm like, thank you for, you know, advocating for these important issues. And so one of the questions I had for you is how do you stay current with the news? Like there's so, especially right now, you know, there's so much bias and you really do not know if you are getting accurate, factual, here's what's actually going on on Capitol Hill and to even know where to advocate and such. And so do you, how do you determine which media outlets to trust? I mean, I'm just thinking of the women listening. I mean, this is, this is for everyone. Like we need to know who do we trust? That's a good question. I assume that any news source I am reading will be biased, even if, um, you know, a journalist strives not to be biased. Everyone does have a bias. So I tried to read widely. So I'll read something 
you know, from a, a right-leaning source, knowing that that's the perspective they will share. And then I'll try to read something, you know, from the New York Times, knowing that they're bringing a certain perspective. Um, so I try to read multiple perspectives um, daily. So I'll, I usually kind of skim through two or three um, kind of news of the day um, newsletters, and then I'll listen to a couple podcasts. So the three podcasts I listen to every day are uh, Axios, um, Punchful News, and then Politico. And I feel like they do a pretty good job um, with, with uh, you know, what's going on on, on Capitol Hill. Um, second to that, I also tried to read global news. I don't do this every day, but several times a week, like the BBC, um, because number one, it helps me remember that um, the world is much bigger than our nation as much yeah. as I care about our nation the world is much larger and there are more issues going on in the world than um what's going on in our country um and it it helps me to be aware of the the larger narrative and you know most days all i can do is kind of pray for the needs i see um because we work on so many issues i can't engage globally on every i can't do everything um but i i do um, really appreciate, you know, being able to see, um, what's happening. So I think that's really important because I mean, just like all the rest of us, we watch the news and you can really, I mean, I kind of feel for you in your job because it is part of your work to stay current. I mean, someone like me, if I'm getting a little depressed watching the news, I just decide I'm not looking at that today or for the next five days, <laughs> you know, one more thing, one more thing there, I would actually recommend reading the news instead of watching it. Oh, because okay. um, when you're reading something, it is likely that it's less emotionally charged than when you're watching something. That's really that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that you said, the idea that you we pay attention to what's going on globally is so important because I do think that we often even forget that a lot of the decisions that we make here affect mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. So when we decide certain policies, other nations think, okay, we'll go this way based on your decision there. And that we do need to begin to really remember that this is a global community, not just about our particular issues. Yep. Please. Chelsea, tell me, how did you even get interested in this? How did how does one think I want to be an architect, <laughs> actually be a waitress, and then wind up lobbying for public policy when working for the ERLC? Such a good question, and it's uh, there. It was not a straight line. So, okay. um, another piece of my story: um, I was born overseas. Um, I was adopted as an infant. Grew up with five adopted siblings, um, all international adoptions. Um, So growing up, I had a huge passion. Thank you. um, Had a huge passion for for the nations. Um, Before my parents had adopted all of us, they lived in um, Western Africa. My dad's an architect and they helped build churches. So so growing up, I after I realized, you know, an architect was not in my future. (laughs) Um, I I had a huge desire to move overseas and do missions and serve vulnerable kids in some way. Mm -hmm. So um, this was a desire in my heart. And I had, this is what I thought the Lord was calling me into. So I studied international relations um, in undergrad with the plan of um, graduating. And then I was applying for 
uh, the journeyman program through the International Mission Board. Mm-hmm. It's a two-year um, stint overseas. Mm-hmm. And this will all tie back to your question. Oh, no, it's great. I love it. it. Um, was applying for this this program, had moved back home with my parents, which at the time felt like, the, you know, uh, yes. I was not thrilled about it. Yes. We'll that <laughs> um, moved back home, was applying for this program and praying through it just to make sure this is the path the Lord would have me walk down. And there have been very, very few times in my life where I have been convinced that the Lord is leading me very, very strongly in a certain certain direction. I feel like normally I kind of uh, walk walk in faith, not by sight, uh-huh. um, but was praying through and applying and just felt the Lord say, this is not what I would have for you uh-huh. um, right now. And was number one, really confused because I had I had this desire to, 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 to care for the nations and to care for vulnerable children and thought I was, thought I was uh, supposed to pursue it. Um, in hindsight, looking back, it was a mercy that God prevented me from going overseas. And I say that because the attitude I had at the time was one of, this is the holiest thing I can do. And I, mm. I had a very arrogant and prideful attitude mm. about it. Um, and of course I can look back and see that I didn't know at the time. Um, so I, I'm grateful that he um, used the past decade to humble me. Um, mm. That that it will be a life lifetime work of that but um so he he prevented me from from going overseas and and let me just say i'm the world's biggest fan of missions and missionaries Mm -hmm. and people moving overseas that's just not what god had for me at that time so i kind of recalibrated and i had uh served on in student government in undergrad and came up to washington dc for a conference ran into a buddy who was working at a non nonprofit. um they were hiring I interviewed, got the job. I've been here for almost nine years. Um, So I say all that to say it was not an immediate desire of mine. I, you know, I didn't dream of, of this type of work um, for years and years. I, I almost kind of stumbled into it. Interesting. Um, But um, I, I will say Government is a God-ordained institution. There's three mm-hmm. institutions, the church, the family, and government. And I count it such a, a privilege to get to work on public policy that, um, that interacts with a, a God-ordained institution. And you know, public policy, good public policy, is a way to love neighbor and a way to advance the common good. So uh, one, more, one more thing. I know this is a very long answer. Oh, no, I love it. No, it's good. Um, it's been really neat because in DC, the nations are here. Yeah, I have yes. friends from all over the world and, um, you know, DC right now with a, a lot of the Afghan refugees coming, it's, mm-hmm. it's a hub and there's a lot of uh, opportunities to minister to, to the nations here, That's um, fascinating. which it's neat to see the Lord answer that desire in a very different way than I thought he was going right. to. And you know what else is interesting is that you're saying you saying that this was not a linear decision makes me think, man, she's had to learn a lot along the way right. and on the fly and in the job because <laughs> like one doesn't just lobby on Capitol Hill because they learned that at like middle school. You know what I'm saying? Like these are <laughs> right. No, that's your that's an excellent point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But you're doing it. The Lord's equipping uh, you. you know. <laughs> 
a lot of uh, on the on the ground learning for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> so you said you moved to DC and you first worked in this nonprofit, and then somehow before you got in your current role, you worked on Capitol Hill. So tell us about was it three years? I think I read somewhere you worked on Capitol yes. Hill. Tell us about what what those three years look like. So I started working on Capitol Hill. I worked for a member on the House side. Um, I started as a scheduler. Um, I uh, really wanted to work for this one member because at the time he was the co-chair of the Adoption Caucus. Oh, wow. Um, which, yeah, again, was a huge desire of my heart to to care for vulnerable kids. So mm-hmm. he is the co-chair of the Adoption Caucus, which, a fun little fact, the Adoption Caucus is Congress's largest bipartisan bicameral caucus. Wow, it's crazy. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's, there's issues that... Are, are divisive in that space, but sure. um, you know, overall, it's neat to see that that issue brings together the most mm-hmm. members of Congress. So, um, and he um, had authored a lot of the existing pro-life legislation. So, the opportunity okay. to to be his scheduler. Uh, so, I, I jumped at it and uh, managed his calendar um, and. Um, did that for about a year and then had the opportunity to move from scheduling into public policy and mm. really cut my teeth on child welfare policy, um, some religious freedom work um, and pro-life, pro-life policies. So um, I had an amazing uh, co-worker who was also a believer and really took me right. under her wing and taught me so much. Um, so I loved getting to work on, on Capitol Hill. It's made me a much better advocate um, because I understand how Capitol Hill works from the inside. And now whenever I come to advocate, I, I know the questions, you know, a staffer would ask me um, or kind of what's going on in their mind or how they make decisions for their boss and things like that. So um, it was a really good experience and I've got to got to do some really fun things in that role. I think what's really stood out to me just in all of that you said was that you said a woman took you up under her wing and showed you the ropes. I think that there's so much value in us being willing to do that for people, not be threatened, not be afraid, but just like, let me pull you in and show you so that we can continue the work. You know, the the other thing I I just, as you were thinking, you came in at a very entry level position. Mm -hmm. You were willing you know, even though you had the, you had a degree, you came in and said, you know what, I'm just going to manage his calendar. And you were faithful in that yes. for a year. And then they must have, you know, seen potential in you and, so and look at you now. <laughs> so, that is so, um, such a good point. For me. That, yes. yeah, if we can be willing to just be humble. I mean, the Lord was obviously working that in you. So, and I'll say on that, um, it helped me doing that work helped me when I changed roles in that office, because I knew I knew how my boss thought. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. in vain or wasted, mm-hmm. even though it felt, you know, very cumbersome to is. just, it never is. Exactly. Never is. The Lord is so efficient. <laughs> so, well, your degree is in international relations. And I had actually never even heard of that as a degree program until reading your bio. Um, so has that degree served you well for your roles? And would you recommend that as a path? Or would you say, if this is the job you want to do, I would recommend you get a different degree. Like, what would you say about that? I I actually would recommend it. Um, again, I wasn't planning to use it in government. I was planning to use it right. in a very different way. But when I got to Washington, D.C., I was shocked by how many people had degrees in, you know, international relations, foreign affairs, kind of general public policy degrees. Um, 
So I would say, you know, if someone wants to work in, in government or or in this type of work, um, it's a good degree, a degree in public policy, government, mm-hmm. communications. Um, again, there's a lot, there's been a lot of on-the-job training and a lot of, um, you know, books I've read and mm-hmm. people I've sat down yeah. and asked a lot of questions to. And, sure. you know, I, I haven't always done it well. And a lot of just, um, you know, figuring figuring it out and... Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was, in hindsight, I didn't know how helpful it would be to this work. Okay. Honestly, we were just thinking of women who, perhaps young women who are undecided, they're in college right now, you know, hearing this, listening to you thinking, oh, that's me. Or even women who are in a different season and they're going back to school, you know, so mm-hmm. hopefully that'll Absolutely. Um, be a benefit to them. So as we mentioned um, earlier, you are in the process of writing a book that we cannot wait to read. And we, uh, honestly, we, we're already like, got you penciled in for our book club (laughs) (laughs) on the topic of women and work. Um, So I am just wondering, not all women are as passionate as the three of us are about this topic. How did this develop (laughs) in you? Like what, what got you so excited to even begin thinking about vocation? Absolutely. So what I didn't mention about my time on Capitol Hill is that my boss actually ended up resigning and left in the middle of his term. Um, I won't go into all the details. I'll just say God protected me and my reputation in all of that. Um, But in the midst of, I had just gotten married. um, My first book was coming out um, and my entire professional world was, was falling apart. So in the middle of that, um, very much like I did when I found out when I was 18 that I couldn't have biological children, I went to the bookstore to buy books to help navigate through extremely dif- difficult circumstances. Um, and I didn't find a lot of resources on women and work. I found that there's wonderful resources on the topic of work. So I just bought all of those. Um, but there weren't many resources on women and work. And um, even apart from that really difficult circumstance professionally, you know, I wasn't taught how to ask for a raise as a woman professionally right. or, mm-hmm. you know, navigate some, um, you know, maybe navigate some gender issues, sure. you know, in a professional life or, or things like that. So um, I, I'm writing the book I wish I'd had. Um, and of course I, so awesome. I won't have all the answers and um, I'm in my thirties. So this is definitely a time and a place that I'm writing, but I want to have a resource that, not only has a rich theological overview of work, women and work, but also answers some of those really practical questions. Sounds great. Um, of, you know, how do you handle gossip at work or just just these challenges that we face or, or opportunities at work and, and things like that. So I'm really excited about it. Perfect. So awesome. do you have a title yet? And when is this book released? We're all waiting on it. Yeah. <laughs> So it was, um, it will be released in October, 2023 um, because of COVID and supply Mm -hmm. chains. It was pushed back a year, but, um, and I have a tentative title, but I don't know if it'll be changed. So I don't, you don't want to share it yet. (laughs) We'll keep our audience updated. Keep waiting. (laughs) Thank you. So one of the things that we are passionate about is our listeners and all of us, particularly as women, seeing is seeing our work as having kingdom impacts. Like we're not just getting up and getting dressed and going to do something every day. So what would you tell Christian women who definitely love the Lord Jesus and want their lives to count for him 
both here now in front of everybody and obviously in eternity, but they're not necessarily called to full-time vocational. This is what everyone calls ministry. What would you say to them about the kind of impact that their, the, their current work can have for the kingdom now? I would say that all of our work matters to God um, and has the ability to make a kingdom impact. Um, what we do Monday through Saturday matters to God. Um, he's not just concerned about, you know, two or three hours on a Sunday morning. He's concerned right. about all, all of our lives and how we conduct ourselves. Um, and so whether or not we are called into, you know, quote unquote, full-time ministry, we can view all of our life as um, having an impact on eternity and pointing the world to who God is and what he is like. Um, the average person actually spends about 90,000 hours working. Um, wow. And I think we need to really seriously think about um, the fact that work is one of the ways that we image God and we worship him. Um, and women are a, a vital part of that, um, whether or not they're, you know, called into full-time ministry, called into kind of a traditional workplace, or their work is in the home. All of it is work, and all of it um, matters to God. That's right. And so for you personally, taking that on a personal level for what you do every day, um, you know, how do you feel like through your job you're making a kingdom impact? And are there certain ways that you feel like you're imaging God through what you do? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really do view public policy um, as a way to love my neighbor. And, you know, when I am, it, one of the issues we're working on right now um, is the issue of the Uyghur genocide in China. And those people cannot mm. speak up for themselves. They right. literally don't have a voice because they've been imprisoned. Um, and the work I get to do in advocating on their behalf and advocating mm. on behalf of persecuted Christians who mm -hmm. don't have those voices, um, I will never know who they are. I will never see their faces, mm. um, but it matters. And it matters um, not only to the ability to live and worship freely here on earth, but um, I, I, my hope and my goal is that, you know, when I'm working on these types of policies or even policies that are a couple steps removed from, you know, where you can see a direct impact, but when I, I'm working on public policy that um, helps helps humans flourish and helps advance the common good. I want that to tell the world something about God, that God cares about humans that are persecuted or God yeah. cares about how we treat our environment or God cares about these things. And, you know, of course we'll have disagreements on the best way to approach some of those, those mm -hmm. policies and, and issues, but um, that I am doing my best to, to, to fulfill God's call to, to love neighbor through that, That's through cool. my professional work in that yeah, way. So beautiful. Um, I love what you said too, about um, you want your work to tell something about God, you know, mm -hmm. and just as you were talking, you know, I think through your advocacy, I mean, you are really demonstrating the heart of God for the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is so for the underdog, right? All throughout scripture, he is so for those people. And I mean, I'm so just I'm sitting here just praising the Lord for you and your work. And um, you. really, I hope people, as you do work on their behalf, um, even with these people you're talking to on Congress, I, I, I just hope that they will see something in you that, that you don't even have to say, I'm a believer. 
they're just going to mm-hmm. just see the Holy Spirit just shine through you and demonstrate his heart. So anyway, blessings. I'll say there's been, there've been several times where I've, you know, sat down one-on-one with a staff or, you know, over a cup of coffee and, you know, we'll be talking about issue of immigration or whatever it is. Uh, we'll be talking. And then um, there have been multiple times where that conversation gets pretty personal. And, you know, yeah. because I work for the Southern Baptist, the, the <laughs> staffer knows I'm a, a, a Christian yeah. and they'll, they'll feel the freedom to, to ask some really hard questions or to, um, to ask some really personal questions about um, Christianity and things like that. So wow. um, again, because it's pretty obvious that I'm a Christian, you know, people, mm-hmm. people have felt that freedom to ask those questions. So I've, I've been really thankful for those opportunities. That's really cool. Chelsea, how did you, first of all, that it, it was, I was having a hard time not actually getting emotional thinking about the work that you do and how nameless and faceless people around the world are only nameless and faceless to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But God knows exactly who they are. And that's just, whew, wow. <laughs> Thank you for making me tear up. Too. Yes. <laughs> well, and the fact um, that they're in China and you're in the United States and they don't yes. know you exist, but yes. you are serving them. But the Lord has used that's you to exactly advocate right. on their behalf. Come on. Oh, love that. It gives me chills just uh, thinking how the God, how yes. God does that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm one. If you distill this down to the local church, Chelsea, I think of women who have jobs and they are kind of trying to figure out how does this impact just in the in the secular workspace. But how can we think of ways, or how do you think of even personally ways that you take all that you do, this advocacy and these other things, and find ways to serve your local church family with those same gifts, skills, talents, resources. You know, I do believe that the Lord creates each one of us with unique giftings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether or not we get to do that professionally, um, we might get to do that at church. So if you are a wedding planner and you mm-hmm. can create um, beautiful um, events and, and spaces that are welcoming and inviting um, professionally, you can take that into the church and help create these spaces that. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome people and, and invite them into into something. Um, so I do think we can use our unique giftings and talents um, to serve the local church. That doesn't mean that if we don't have the opportunity to use our unique giftings at the local church, we don't serve. Um, you know, Amen. sometimes sure. <laughs> you know, I will. I would imagine every single church in the United States needs more childcare workers. Um, so I, I would say if you have that opportunity, <laughs> uh, use those giftings, but don't, don't let that hold you back from serving. Right. That's beautiful. That's good. Yeah. So one of the big topics um, I know that we all think a lot about when we think about work, um, it kind of goes hand in hand is, is rest. It's kind of the the opposite spectrum, I guess. We work hard, but then we also need to rest. And so as we think about incorporating rest into our work lives, first, like I want us to talk about rest, but first let's just define like what type of rest is important. Is it just physical rest or, you know, what is spiritual rest? I don't know. How do you think through just the definition of it as it relates to mental rest? What's that? Mental. Yeah. Even mental rest. Yeah. Yes. Um, I would say first and foremost, it's reorienting our hearts and minds um, back to God. Um, So often when we either fail to rest or kind of 
only quasi rest, meaning, you know, we're not working, but we're still checking our phone every 15 minutes, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yes. which I do all the time, if I'm honest. But we're acting as if we are limitless. Uh-huh. And that, mm, yes. um, so I, I think when we incorporate rest into our lives, it's it's a reorienting and an acknowledgement that we have limits. We get tired at the end of the day. Um, we are not robots or machines, that we're humans and that we we need rest. Um, and so I, I think, you know, first step is reorienting um, our hearts and minds. So when we do that, you know, there will be seasons where we will not be able to have a lot of physical rest, mm-hmm. you know, maybe because, um, you know, we're working multiple jobs to make ends meet or, you know, a new mom or we're caring for an aging parent. or So there will be seasons where we will not be able to have the type of physical rest that we, we desire, but we can have that inner, um, that inner rest and that inner, um, calm and dependence upon God. When we, um, when we ultimately know that, um, it's not our work that sustains us, that it's yeah. God's work. So um, so I, I do think that physical rest is important though. Um, and I do think, it, you know, it's important to regularly observe Sabbath if possible. And this is not, you know, I don't think that um, Christians today are under the same obligations as Old Testament, uh, as the Old Testament uh, Israelites were. But I do think that when we um, observe regular rhythms and patterns of rest, it's modeling um, God in Genesis when he worked for six days and rested. Um, and so we have daily opportunities to rest. Again, we get tired. You know, I get tired around three in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, don't stop working then. But um, we get tired and we need daily you know, we have a daily reminder that we need to stop and rest and then weekly um, and kind of seasonally reminders of, of rest as well. You know, Chelsea, one of the things I say to women all the time is I don't know a single woman who's not multitasking. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I say this, like, I don't know one woman. And if you are not multitasking, please give me a formula. Mm-hmm. And then as an African-American woman, we are told mm-hmm. that strength is a mandatory requirement mm-hmm. for our lives. And one of the most freeing statements I ever heard someone say to me was, God didn't put that burden on you. Mm-hmm. I, I was leveled in that conversation. Oh, that's good. Why do you think women wrestle so hard with the idea of resting? Why does it feel like it's so hard? Because for me, I have even almost been taught that rest was weakness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Man, (laughs) no, number one, I feel that. And I, again, I don't know a woman who's not juggling 12 things at once. I think in some ways we are created to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I can I can make dinner and listen to an audiobook and you know be jot down to up. do yes exactly yeah. I can do yeah. multiple things at once, um, and it doesn't phase me as much as it might others. But mm-hmm. um, I think you know in in some ways we are created to be able to do that a little bit better than men, um, but. I also think that, um, like you said, society has almost, um, what's the right word? Society has almost prized that too much, kind of the hustle culture, yeah. the girl boss, and you can do anything, mm, you, you know, just yes. kind of that type of mentality. And I don't find that in scripture. That is not 
scriptural. Um, and, and Missy, something you said that's a, that has a slightly different, but also I think about this daily is not every burden is mine to bear. And yes. especially in the type of work I do, yeah. I could be daily just crushed by all the needs in the world. Right. Um, and as much as I have a desire to to make a difference, um, I, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to single-handedly counter a genocide or end human traffic. You know, right. not every burden is mine to bear. Um, mm. And I think when we choose to rest, we're acknowledging that the burdens, like you said, Missy, the burdens don't ultimately fall on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. They're on God's. And he has the whole world in his hands. And that is such good news for us because... Mm we can take a breath and step back and rest. And I I will say when I, as a female, when I do rest, I I feel like I'm, you know, mentally constantly feeling like, Oh, I should be doing more. I should be doing more. And I just take those opportunities to pray and say, I feel this tension in me that I am choosing to rest. And I don't feel, I don't feel calm. I don't feel like doing this. And I just, I try to take those moments when I feel that tension and just hand that to God and say, I've done what I can today. And I'm leaving, I'm leaving mm-hmm. all of the undone things, all of the burdens I saw today that I can't, I can't address. I, It's his, it's not mine. That's so, really That's good. So that just yeah. bring, just hearing you say that, just doesn't that make you just, wow, yes, I'm going to trust the Lord. I can't do this anyway. It's all of them right. anyway. I've got to trust him. Yeah, I'm going to trust yeah. you, Lord. <laughs> well, I love what you said um, that rest is reorienting our minds and hearts back to God. And um, our Women in Work book club right now is reading The Common Rule by Justin. Uh, it's so Early. good. So good. So good. So good. Yes. So our, um, one of the things that the habits he talks about in there is, and has really helped me reorient my mind throughout the day is kneeling prayer. He, he really advocates Mm. for kneeling prayer in the morning at lunchtime and in the evening, just to bring yourself low before the Lord and say, God, I'm yours. I'm still yours. I'm still dependent upon you. And it's very humbling, right? And it does help you. So I was just wondering if there are any practical ways or even habits or even any tools, I don't know, planners, apps, I don't know what, um, tools that that help even just remind you, wait, no, I've got to put this down, you know? Mm, Such a good question. Um, I love um, the the book. It's it's a book, but it's also an app that every moment holy. Uh-huh, um, yeah. There's two two copy or two volumes. Um, they're liturgies for um, everyday life, um, and there's one for daybreak, midday, and um, evening time. And I actually use those throughout my day, um, kind of as those anchoring prayer times. Um, I don't kneel. I I should because you know we are embodied people and. Just like our bodies get tired, something happens when we, uh, you know, kneel. Um, but you know, around around midday is when I I personally start to get really anxious and overwhelmed. Of I've I've done this work in the morning, and I still have so much to do, and I I usually feel really anxious. And I'll usually pull up the app. It's every moment holy, and read that prayer out loud to myself. I'm in an environment mm. where I can read it out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll just take a few moments to say, Lord, help me to focus um, and not be distracted by social media or Mm -hmm. my email or, you know, all the things you can so easily be distracted by. Um, So I love 
I love the every moment holy prayers. I also, for iPhone users, I love the new update because you can, um, instead of just putting your phone on complete do not disturb, you can, um, I've toggled mine where I have a work do not disturb. So I let my husband through and, you know, important coworkers yes. through. And no one else. Um, I can do calls, I think. But um, I love that, that I can still be present to work. But, you know, those yeah. those text threads about, you know, the office can wait. <laughs> you can, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Distraction. Well, uh, one of yeah. the things um, in the in the common rule he talks about, if you can't kneel, let's say you're, you know, in a public environment and you, it just, it would just be really weird to kneel in Starbucks, right? He just <laughs> says, even if you just, um, just open your hands up. Just put your hands mm. in your lap and open your hands up to the Lord. Um, that's just huge. And sometimes I will forget to do that midday uh, kneel because mm. it's just, you know, you're you're in the throes of it, and you just I just forget. Mm-hmm. I need to set an alarm on my phone. But um, I'll even just in my car, I'll, I'll you know go in to pick up my kids, and it's like, oh my goodness, no way. Turn your heart. Actually, they'll be like fighting in the back seat. <laughs> and I missed that midday prayer. Lord help me. I'll just pull, you know, hold my hands up to the Lord in the car. But I think that's really that's helpful. So I can't wait to look into every moment holy. Well, another uh, topic that you love thinking about, and is actually one of our values here at Women in Work, is thinking about work in seasons for women. So um, let's just talk about that for a minute. What, what are just basically some some examples of what these seasons might be for women? Absolutely. So the the first ones that come to mind would be kind of a recent college grad starting her her career and her first job. Um, you know, someone who's working full time and going back to to school to get a, a master's. They're working a full time job and then doing evening school. Um, new mothers. Um, you know, either stepping back fully or partly or, or not stepping back at all and kind of figuring out what that looks like. Um, again, I, I referenced earlier caring for either an aging parent or a, a, a family member who, who needs more time and attention, um, and, the, and then women who work multiple jobs to make to make ends meet. Um, so I think there's many different seasons, and um, many of us will step into many of those seasons throughout our life. Yeah. Um, and so I think those are kind of some of the the, the ones that come up. One other one would be um, prolonged singleness. Um, and, you know, maybe a woman who has desired to, to get married and have a family and step back, but the Lord hasn't answered their that prayer. Um, so they're, they're still working full time. So lots of different seasons. Sure, yeah. Yeah. You know, the season of life I'm in, I feel like there is no conversation for, there is no book written about mm-hmm. it. There, there are no resources. And because in womanhood, we really focus on the newly married and small children season, mm. all of the rest of us whose lives either circumvent that or pass that really don't have much for the church to celebrate or mm. to really put voice into. And so the season I'm in is um, some of what you described. So I wonder, as I look and say, Missy, no one in your church is really in this season. You're kind of by yourself in this thing. Um, I could either lament that I'm not in that Mm. season or I could rejoice in the fact that the Lord is teaching me something in this Mm. season. What do you think could be some of the negative impacts that could occur when we ignore the fact that people's seasons are different? Mm. I think the one I fall into most often is honestly jealousy. It's so Mm. easy for me to look at 
someone else's season and to covet and be jealous of what what yeah. I think they have, exactly. what I imagine that season to have and to yeah. look like. And, you know, most of the time it's probably not what I'm imagining in my head that they have or, or whatnot. But I think I often struggle and I, I think many of us do to to some extent. Um, like you said, Missy, that we can either choose to lament that and to to for me, I covet that, um, or we can choose to to rejoice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I wish my posture was to always rejoice, but it's mm-hmm. a it's a battle in my heart to 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 not default to to coveting what someone else has. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think comparison is a, is an issue for all of us as women. And I have a mm. sticker on my laptop that says comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, just what you said, uh, Chelsea, it's, it's imagining because we really don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, if you're on mm-hmm. social media, I mean, you only see the highlight. You, people are only posting what they want you to see. Yes. Um, and so <laughs> it, it really is uh, imagining and, you know, um, mm. So are there, um, instead of, I guess, really, I guess the, the opposite of coveting or jealousy, how, how can women be, how can we be more mindful to actually lift each other up and encourage women in these? Because mm. I feel like, don't you think that there's a lot of judging going on? Um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, yes. look what she's able to get done. I'm not able to do that. But there's also... Mm-hmm she should be doing more. Like, I don't, I just feel like there's a, just judgment calls. So how can yes. we like yes. put that aside and just love each other and encourage one another in these seasons, you know? I think it's so, so important um, to have friends who are in different seasons. You're right. So, you know, if I lived in North Carolina yeah. and I, I could talk to Missy weekly, I could, you know, tell her this is what was challenging in in my week this week with my Mm -hmm. season and she could tell me and we could encourage each other in those difficult seasons and in the joyful seasons um Mm. because and she could you know when we're in real relationship with one another you know someone who you know might struggle thinking oh you should be doing more might not know that that person struggles with chronic illness and they can't do more and they don't feel like sharing that publicly or you know, someone's not going to share when they snapped at their husband, <laughs> just things right, like that, sure, that, right. you know, you might feel comfortable sharing with someone one-on-one over coffee, um, but mm-hmm. you're not going to put, put online. So I think it's really important to have friends um, who know us and know our weaknesses and are in different seasons and can encourage I think us. that's really helpful. <sighs> Yeah, and I'm, I keep reminding myself that the Bible does speak about seasons and that there are things that we're required to know. There are principles, things that we should be going, turning to the word for, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, Chelsea, one of the next things we want to talk to you about is productivity and your work. <laughs> and when I read that you were an Enneagram 3, I think I just got excited because so am I, right? Yes. I'm about get it done. Yes. How much can you get done in three hours, right? A lot. <laughs> yes. Um, I, yeah, I love it. But it can be it can be an idol. So I, I, I got to tamp tamper that a little bit. But I think most of us enjoy the feeling of accomplishment that comes with hard work and producing good work. Um, 
And there is something right, something satisfying about putting in a hard day's work, at least for me. I love at the end of the day, I can think of all the things that were done today. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> um, but what are some of the dangers that you know as a three, as an achiever, what are some of the dangers that we should be aware of when it comes to thinking about productivity um, and as it relates to our work and even our relationship to the Lord? Mm. Personally, my joy or frustration can so easily be directly linked to how much I feel like I got done or didn't do that day. So my emotions can really rise and fall based off of how, how many things I've checked off or how, how little things I've checked off. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's, that's how my emotions go. And if I'm honest, I can easily take that into the presence of God and feel really good about myself if I've, you know, woken up and read my Bible five days that week and not feel comfortable going to God in prayer or, you know, coming to him with with honesty if I feel like I haven't performed well that week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is completely antithetical to the gospel. <laughs> right. um, the gospel tells us that we can't hustle our way into the presence of God or stack up our achievements um, for ourselves. Um, And even if we would want to, we can't. Um, And I think the good news of the gospel um, and the daily reminder um, is that we can't work for our salvation. Um, Jesus paid that for us. And when we come to God in prayer, you know, God is looking at us clothed in Christ's righteousness. So, I think that the implications of that ought to carry down into our work. And again, it is a daily battle for me. Yeah. Um, daily battle. Um, I posted this uh, yesterday on social media, but um, I'll often either walk or drive home and I don't listen to music or, or play play anything and just give myself time to decompress from the day. And usually what is most at the top of mind is all the things I didn't get done or mm. feeling really good about myself that I did. And I usually, <laughs> which, you know, being honest, and I try to take that time. And if it was a good day, I thank God for that and hand it to him. And if it was a day where I'm frustrated that I didn't get it all done, I say, I hand that to him. And I try to use that time as I'm transitioning into the rest of my evening to just remind myself of the things I know to be true, but when you're caught up in, in working throughout the day, you can, I can personally forget. That's a great tip. Yeah. And That's I feel great. like too, when we think about producing, I mean, there are so many people who like physically can't produce, whether they are mm-hmm. a disabled person, you know, why is there, why is there a life, even though they literally do not have the ability to produce, what, what is it about God that makes their life still valuable? Mm. Every single human being on the face of this planet throughout history um, bears the image of God. Mm. And the image of God is so much deeper, um, so much deeper than what we, what we do. Um, You know, we are human beings, not human doers. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, people that, that don't have the ability to, to produce or produce at this in the same ways that, um, other others of us might still have inerrant dignity and worth um, and deserve um, our respect um, because they they bear God's image. So 
I think it's so important for us to remember that um, that producing and work, um, while is it is a part of many of our lives, is not the sum total of who we are as a, individuals, and not the sum total of of humanity. That um, that we we bear God's image, and that's that's bigger than than producing. You know, I was I've been, I just told Missy before we started recording. I'm reading this book called The Sleep Revolution by Ariana Huffington. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. heard about. It. I haven't read it. <laughs> it's I'm in like chapter three. It's just so many facts about sleep. But what has been really fascinating to me is how the industrial revolution really changed the way we think about rest in general and productivity. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until companies began to see oh my goodness, we can really capitalize on work, you know, and and that's when like nighttime shift became into existence. And so Hmm. the the idea of productivity means everything because they were making money off of it. Right. It's just so Mm -hmm. fascinating, but um, I love what you're saying that, that, that is not, our value does not, is not determined by what we produce. It is, it is in the fact that who made us um, Mm -hmm. and he sees us. So thank you for sharing that. So Chelsea, we mentioned your first book, Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness. Um, And a point that I made to even Courtney earlier is it's amazing how you have this job that is so powerful and you're the person who wrote this book. And then we'd have moms at home who are at home with kids who would covet your job and your powerfulness and just or powerfulness. I don't know if I meant that, but you know what I mean. (laughs) I gotcha. But how the Lord is really trying to weave us together into community Mm -hmm. and make all of our weaknesses and our strengths be beneficial to each other. So um, we know that from your book, you and Michael have dealt with infertility during your marriage and God has led you to adopt. Um, Can you give us a quick update on how that process is going and how our listeners can be praying with you about that? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So we are pursuing an international adoption from India. Um, and we are just thrilled. Adoption is beautiful and hard and complex and nuanced and all of the things. All of the things. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But we just wrapped up our home study, um, which is okay. a huge step. Um, so next it will be about 12 to 18 months before we're matched. Um, and then about another year before we're able to travel. So not not a quick process. Yeah. Uh, so so ways people can be praying, uh, pray for you know Michael and I as we prepare to welcome home. We have a, a huge desire for siblings. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, for our kiddos um, as we prepare to welcome them home. And then um, Michael and I daily pray for our kids and their parents and all the things we don't know, all the circumstances we don't know, he knows. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, as we prepare to step into parenthood, it's bonkers to me how much I already love these kids that I've never even met and how much I already long to have them home and trusting that the that God's timing is indeed perfect. Even when mm-hmm. I wish it was yesterday, yeah. his timing is perfect and that he he is present when I cannot be, and his love is perfect when when mine will not be. Mine, you know, our kids are coming from hard places, and we'll have seen and dealt with with hard things, and my love won't be able to fix that. But my job will get to be to point them to 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 God who cares for every single circumstance. Um, so 
I think just prayer for for Michael and I and our kids and and the process and prayers that will it will go quicker than than yeah. we hope. But Chelsea, don't well. you think it's wild when you think about the heart God gave you, even as a college student, to serve, you know, orphans and and adopted children around the world and in his providence somehow in his plan now you're actually going to be doing that as a as an adoptive it's mom wild. it's just it's and wild. the family you come from i know, I I know. know. it's wild <laughs> yeah amazing well as we wrap up we love to ask um our our guest if there was one piece of advice you would like to leave with women who want to honor god through their vocational calling love to hear what you would say yeah, my answer to that would be to strive for faithfulness. The Lord will take care of of everything else, but our job is to be to be faithful. Amen. Can't Beautiful. go wrong with that. We can't get it all done, but we can be faithful in what He's put right in front of us. This has been the so best. Good. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Thank you, ladies. This is fun. <laughs> and thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will also be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women in Work podcast discussion questions. We provided those so that you can lead your friends from work, your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling. If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.